Today's Spotlight is brought to you in part by presenting sponsor, Busey Bank. Busey, your dream, our promise. Welcome to Spotlight. I'm your host, Jane Wernett. With coronavirus numbers again on the rise and Illinois moving back to tier three mitigations, people are feeling increasingly sad, irritable, and even angry. The chronic state of uncertainty over the future, coupled with public health actions such as social distancing and stay-at-home orders, have created a loss of the everyday routine, which can make people feel not only isolated, but lonely. From children to seniors, no one has been immune from some level of fear and anxiety brought on by this pandemic. People are struggling to get a good night's sleep. We're seeing increased use of alcohol and drugs and upticks in the levels of domestic violence, suicide, as well as even online searching for filing for divorce. Today, I'm joined by three local community leaders who have witnessed firsthand the impact of COVID-19 on our collective mental health right here in Naperville. I'd like to introduce you to Judy Carabo. She's the CEO of 360 Youth Services. With her today is Dr. Scott Mitchell. He's the president and CEO of Samira Care Counseling. And rounding out our panel today is Jenny Dollar. She's the Naperville Township representative to the Naperville Lyle Triad. Glad to have you all with me today. Jane, thank you for having all of us and talking about such an important issue and subject. You know, for our young people, we're seeing actually a real wide variety of, of symptoms and issues. We've got some young people who are doing really actually better, believe it or not, in this pandemic. They're doing better with remote learning and not having the pressures of school. And we're having a growing number of our young people who are really struggling with loss, uh, a sense of no control, um, they're experiencing increased pressure in their family as they see parents lose jobs, uh, parents uh, begin to talk and, and think about divorce. And so uh, there's this real kind of uh, sense of, of um, just kind of, you know, pressure on our young people that they have not had to experience before in really dealing with some very adult issues without a lot of prior experience dealing with those adult issues. Yeah, and I think, you know, when we talk about being stay at home, um, that, that, you know, anytime we put everybody, as much as we all love each other, in the same little full walls, that can certainly escalate a lot of things, right? And, and certainly I would think so for our young people. It, it really does. And, and, you know, we're all dealing with, you know, issues that we wouldn't necessarily normally say are mental health issues, right? Like, so, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, our loss and it gets expressed as sadness. We're frustrated because we don't have any sense of control and that gets expressed as irritability. And so that puts a lot of pressure on families and communities and uh, to really not be able to do much about what's going on in your surroundings. And that's kind of a lot of what our young people are feeling is not really being able to do anything when they see mom and dad fight when they normally wouldn't fight, uh, to see you know some, some kind of struggles between siblings or have to take care of siblings in situations when they didn't have to before. Uh, it really is a lot of complex um, struggles and challenges that not only are pressures on adults and families, but also puts pressure on 
the, the teens in, in those families as well in, in ways, again, that have never been experienced before. And so how do you cope with those? And, and your, your community of support is gone, right? So you can't necessarily be with your friends to be able to vent and let go of some of that stress and that pressure, or to be able to find out you're not alone and your you know, friends are experiencing something, something similar. And so the best you can do is be on a Zoom call or you know, be on the phone with your friends or text with your friends. And there's also not a lot of privacy at home to be able to have those kind of heart-to-heart -heart conversations you would with your friends. So even your community of support has changed and looks different during this pandemic as a young person. Yeah, I mean, you think about um, kids are always, you know, we used to joke with ours when they were teenagers, they were never home, right? Because they want to be with their friends. They want to be out, they want to be about and, and doing stuff. And so that loss of that interaction uh, certainly has a, a big impact. And, and it's the loss of interaction as well as the loss of working towards goals, right? So all of the, there's no more plays that kids work on together. You know, there's not this kind of building community because you're working towards a common goal. Marching band hasn't happened, so you're not working on performances. There's not the athletics like we that like there were before the pandemic. And so even the working towards goals and building a community by working toward that goal is all gone and different. So the things that we would take for granted, the rituals and routines, are part of that sense of loss that we are all experiencing and particularly experiencing as young people. And again, not having that prior experience, that depth of experience as adults have in dealing with loss makes it challenging to draw on any kind of previous coping skills to get you through those tough times, to get you through those struggles. Yeah. Now, I, I'm going to kind of switch to Jenny and kind of go to the other end because you talked about that whole no prior experience, right? And we think about seniors. Now, they've had a few losses over their lifetime, and so they've had a little bit of experience with that. But how is our senior population holding up, Jenny? Thank you for having me. Um, I think they're holding up very well, but they're all over the place. And when I say all over the place, they um, want to talk. They want to be things going back to normal. Um, nothing is the same. So you have a lot of what I'm going to call griping because things are different and things are changing and they like routine. Um, but, but they're doing very well because like the opposite end of the spectrum that Judy was talking about, I think that um, uh, they have had experiences to, to draw on the Great Depression. Um, losses within their families, sometimes spouses. Um, that is one of the areas that I, I, I have concern because when you have a significant loss with a, a, a family member or a spouse, you, you are thrown into out of your routine into a new set. And this is where they start to get into problems. They can deal with most anything. They've had to deal with most anything. They've had food shortages. They've had um, different areas that they, they have, have had to deal. But, but now this is different and, and it's different because they're older. They have more needs, medical issues, um, things like that. that um, and they're feeling the loss and they're feeling that isolation. And where they are used to having family around, young children around, things that bring them happiness, all of a sudden those things are different. They're still there, 
and that's where we have to go and and point those out to them sometimes but they they need to be aware that they are still there but they're different and that's what they want they want to go back to quote normal yeah. And I think there's always that sense, right? On the one hand, when you're young, the whole your whole world is ahead of you. As you're a senior, you know, every day is important. You know, uh, you, you don't know. You're in the fourth quarter, as a lot of people like to refer to it. You know, so not really knowing for you where that finish line, I think that would cause some anxiety there, too. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what is this going to do to me? How is my situation going to change? Who's going to take care of me? What am I going to do now? And um, it's a lot of questions, and it's a lot of anxiety, and it's a lot of isolation. And that's what we have to work to reverse. Yeah. Now, Scott, um, you know, obviously we've got this cumulative impact of stress and grief and anxiety. Um, some are saying that we're in a mental health pandemic. Um, what do you say? 25%. Uh, of adults 18 to 24 since the pandemic have uh, shown an increase in substance abuse as a way of coping with the pandemic. 63% uh, of that same population is dealing with depression and anxiety since the, the pandemic. And then 40% of adults ranging in age from 25 to 44 have also reported increased anxiety and depression since the pandemic. Uh, and that's all CDC uh, statistics. Kaiser Foundation uh, reported that over half, 56% of Americans are reporting some level of uh, mental health distress. And a study that just came out on uh, uh, Friday of, of last week uh, from the uh, Wellbeing Trust uh, is is predicting that there's going to be 75,000 additional deaths of despair. Mm. I know that's depressing. And what they're talking about is deaths related to drug overdose, alcohol misuse, and suicide. So yeah, I share that all just to simply say that, yes, we're in a mental health crisis <laughs> caused by the pandemic. There's no question about it. Be even before the pandemic happened, we were shifting to that, and now uh, that sense of despair has increased dramatically. Uh, in the field of psychology, we often talk about protective factors, uh, those things that uh, protect us, you know, when we're dealing with uh, distress in our lives. And what we know is social support is one of the most critical protective factors across the age spectrum, whether it's, you know, the youth uh, that 360 deals with or uh, the older adults uh, that Jenny's talking about or anybody in between. Social support is such a, a protective factor. Well, we're being robbed of that, if you will, in the midst of this pandemic. I mean, it's a very unique uh, kind of trauma and disaster. And many other disasters were told to go seek support. Yeah. Now we're told to isolate. Yeah. And so the, the power of that is really significant and I think is, is having a, a pretty detrimental effect on many people. And, and I would just, you know, the, the other thing I'd say, and I think Judy uh, alluded to this earlier, that a lot of times those emotions that we're feeling you know, stress, uh, sadness, we don't equate necessarily to a mental health issue or problem, right? When in fact, if we're not talking about those and dealing with those, it can lead to depression uh, and anxiety. 
So there's no question uh, that uh, there's a pandemic. The other thing that we're seeing uh, in a lot of the populations across the board that we're dealing with, there's a loss of what I would call identity. You know, that I've lost my job because of the economic impact, but now I don't have that identity. Or, you know, I'm, I'm graduating from college, but I don't have a job to go to. Or I'm going re ready to go off to college, but I can't go because they're not meeting. You know, that all speaks to a loss of identity as well, which can lead to depression and anxiety. So yes, we're in a, we are in a crisis, I, yeah, but I, I do think, and hopefully we'll talk a bit about this later, but you know, I think uh, there's, there's a silver lining, I think, in some of this as well, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously going into 2020, there were a lot of people, and you talk, you refer to it, uh, Scott, that referenced it, that were already feeling uh, anxious or depressed. And so obviously, you know, I would imagine that the pandemic has escalated that for many, um, but now you've got this much larger, broader population who are also going through, it, it's a shared trauma. I mean, I, I think yeah. you, you very aptly label it that it it's a shared trauma that everybody is going through and, and people will have different levels of coping mechanisms for that, but with the key, key piece of that social piece uh, not being quite there, right, in the same way. Yes. And if I can just connect the dots a little bit with what, what Scott was saying, you know, I think he was making a really good point about, you know, the, the how we see mental health and, and really being able to redefine mental health. And I think, you know, we would go to the doctor for physical preventative checkups, right? You know, and we'll take cholesterol medicine to keep our cholesterol low. But we wait from a mental health perspective until we get to depression or panic attacks or general anxiety disorder before we begin to even think about, let's talk to a mental health professional. And really we need to be reaching out to mental health professionals when we are feeling sadness, when we are feeling anxiety, when we are feeling um, frustration or irritability, to be able to process those emotions, to be able to learn coping skills before it gets to significant depression or major depression. And so I just, I, I think we need to be looking at mental health like we look at our physical health and, and do things preventatively and learn coping skills, learn that we need to be taking the cholesterol medicine before it gets to be too severe. And I think that's a, a philosophical shift for our society in general. And I'm hopeful if we want to circle this back around to young people, that our young people can begin to learn to do that, to talk to counselors, to talk to professionals about how they're feeling and learn coping skills so that they can prevent something down the road later on. We all know that the stress and the trauma that we experience today, if it's left untreated, will manifest in long-term physical health issues. And we all want to prevent that. Yeah, and I think you made a very interesting point. I mean, you know, if I if I break my arm or my stomach hurts, I I can see it. It's a, a much more tangible feeling, right? And I think you know we aren't often trained, uh, depending on how we grew up, where we grew up, whom we grew up with, to uh, look at our feelings and identify uh, how we're feeling and what that looks like. So um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and explore that a little bit more. So please stay with us. For more than 150 years, you've believed in Busey. Today, more than ever, we believe in you. To our healthcare workers, first responders, and local businesses, 
you're central to the communities we're proud to call home. Busey's grateful to partner with you and your families through life's ups and downs, today and for generations to come. Because as neighbors helping neighbors, we're in this together. Busey, grateful to serve the communities we call home. Welcome back. Uh, in our first segment, we were kind of talking a little bit about how the pandemic is impacting uh, the cumulative mental health, the collective mental health, if you will, of our community. And, you know, as we look out and we think about people are feeling overwhelmed or they're feeling isolated, um, you know, a couple of things that I'm interested in talking about. One is how do we identify that? How do we label that? How do we know that we're having concerns? Um, and then how do we find ways to both support ourselves or maybe if we're seeing somebody else, a family member, how do we figure out how to help them? Jenny, I'm going to ask you first, talk a little bit about our seniors and, and how are they identifying some of these feelings that they're having as a mental health issue? They are, but they, as I said before, they have come through a lot during their lifetimes. And so they have already set up ways of coping. And sometimes they think that they should be able to pull themselves up by their own shoestrings and that they ought to be able to do these things themselves. They're not used to asking for help. Uh, but then it does get a little bit overwhelming. And, and I find that friends at, at, for people that are older are wonderful resources. That could be positive and that could be negative. Um, you know, sometimes what they tell them, oh, I did this, I did that, and, and then they feel inadequate when they're not doing that. But then in other ways, they can say, oh, you can do this because I did this, and, you know, and I can do it because of you. So I think uh, finding friends and maintaining friend contacts and family contacts is absolutely vital. And, and you can do this by phone, by computer, FaceTime, Skype, uh, Zoom, what we're doing right now. Um, we have to find ways of enjoying safe levels of human interaction, but you can do that during these times. You don't have to be afraid to do things, but you have to do things in a safe manner. And I think it's very important that they keep to their routine, whatever their routine is, whether that's going to sleep at the same time, waking up at the same time, having your meals at the same time. This is a kind of a neat word, but I enjoy saying it, but the circadian rhythmicity. And, um, and you know, you get into that circadian rhythm, and when you do that, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe that's, I didn't know that that's what it was called, but you have to kind of, Keep doing the same things that you do normally. And um, I like to look at this by doing sensory things, uh, observe things. And these are the five areas that I wanted to talk about. But observe things with your eyes. Go outside. Look around. Um, I have had so many seniors say, this has been such a pleasant time for me because I'm hearing birds sing again. I'm seeing uh, squirrels running around trying to gather up their winter haul. Um, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing that. And, and a lot of times if you ask, especially seniors, but you know, what do you see? When you go out walking, what are some of the things that you have observed? What are some of the things that you see? Look at the cloud formations, look at the color of the sky, look at the leaves falling. These are all things that we need to observe and share with others. 
you know, go back to your routine. Uh, shower when you normally shower. Uh, have the meal times when you normally do. Cook something different. You know, try instead of having the regular thing, one at a time, just subtle changes that can provide a new outlook on your life. Cook something new. With our phones and the technology with the phones now, take pictures with your phones when you're walking. And when you come back home, look at those pictures and pick something out in those pictures that you didn't see when you were walking around. For me, it would be, I'd be looking down at the ground because I'd be stepping on a crack or walking off of a curb. <laughs> and so, you know, that's why um, I, I find that a lot easier to do. If I take a picture and I can come back, I can really see what I really saw. And, um, and so sometimes um, things that are just really simple things like that. Um, but outside is a wonderful thing to use your eyes. Smell. Cook something new. Cook. A, get a, get a fragrance going. Um, cut a lemon in half and just squeeze the lemon. Put the lemon down the garbage disposal. You know, it's such a pleasant aroma. Basil, fresh basil. Grow it in your windowsill. You know, cut it. Use it in cooking. Doing things like that. Um, and they love to do that because they can see what they have and they can see something from it. Um, the other thing is like with taste. The same thing about cooking and the basil. You can taste all of that. It can all be done interchangeably. And caring for your body also cares for your mind because these scents, when you smell them, mint, eucalyptus, things like that, they bring back memories for people, and especially people that are beginning the stages of dementia and Alzheimer's. It's these smells that you, you say, I remember that as a child, cotton candy. You know, and that's another one that you remember. And when you smell these, it's like, oh, so surround yourself with these things. Do things that you don't normally do. Buy a bottle of nail polish. <laughs> polish your nails. You know, um, uh, draw, color, jigsaw puzzles. Um, there are a number of things. But going back to your original thing that you were talking about, solitude versus loneliness. Okay, loneliness to me is a negative connotation, where solitude is a positive connotation. You know, right now, with all of the things that we're doing and trying to help others and doing everything else, we have to remember ourselves, too. And isn't it refreshing sometimes when you just say, okay, I just want a little quiet. And when you have that little quiet, it refreshes your brain. Lots of good input. I mean, lots of good things. Well, and you talk a little bit about it, and I think, Jenny, it's very much like when we talk about seniors and when, when people retire. You know, one of the biggest issues is that our, all the routines go out the window, and that's when people find themselves sort of a little bit adrift. And I think, you know, your whole point of trying to keep routines, keep some anchors, you know, try to look at it from a positive position, um, certainly all good advice for our senior population. Judy, how about you over with the youth? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the things is, is we're all in this together, right? We're all experiencing this. And so we're all, even all four of us on this, on this, you know, in this conversation have experienced some level of sadness, some level of um, irritability and frustration and loss of patience. And I think there's something really helpful and profound about knowing that you're not in this alone. Um, there's a sense of normalizing this. I also think that you know when we can touch it and, and connect with our own kind of 
times where we've been frustrated, we have a little bit more compassion for somebody else who's frustrated or irritable or sad. And really that creates this really strong sense of compassion and empathy, which I think we all really need right now. So I think this, this being able to, to connect with our own feelings, to use that as a base for compassion to connect with somebody else is really important. And it's really been amazing to see uh, young people do that. Um, not too long ago, we had our Operation Snowball um, weekend retreat, and it was really beautiful to see young people share kind of very vulnerably and very personally about their sense of loss or their sense of sadness. And then for others to, to it, and it was, it was amazing to hear how often others in the, in the Zoom chat would go, I didn't know you were feeling that way too. And just kind of having almost like this sense of relief that I don't have to carry that burden by myself knowing that other people are feeling the same way. So being able to be vulnerable and share those feelings with somebody else is very, very powerful. I do think that rituals and, and creating new rituals is really important. I know one of the things that I hope as an adult that I leave this pandemic with is really being able to make time to continue the ritual of my husband and I having lunch together on a regular basis, which we never had been able to do before. Um, and, and the routine of taking the dogs out for a walk after we have lunch and just being able to connect during the day. So being able to find things that are going on currently that you hope you're gonna take with you after the pandemic lifts, I think is also really important. And then finally, one of my clinicians very wisely shared that she thought that hope is a discipline. Mm. And I thought how profound that is. Hope is a discipline. It's a choice. And how can we choose hope in every small moment, right? It's not these big, big things that happen that create hope, right? It's, it's the small decisions that we make. It's the for me, it's I'm going to choose to meditate every morning. Even though I don't feel like I want to meditate, I'm going to choose to meditate because I know I feel better after I do that. Or I'm going to spend time thinking about the things and the people I'm grateful for to help change my frame of reference. And so it's all of those small decisions about um, that, that kind of those small moments that lead to hope so it's it's a thought that has lingered with me since she shared it with me and i think it's very profound that hope is a discipline i think it's interesting because i think obviously for all of us um very few people do not like some sense of control over things so i think when you talk about um choosing and discipline that 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 all speaks to that mental health and scott i'm going to come to you because i know that samira care has been working very hard for for many many years to sort of overcome this stigma of mental health and i think that uh, one of the things that strikes me with this conversation coming off of what uh, judy just said is this whole choose stronger which has been a big part of your theme for our, your agency and that idea of, of choosing to have control you may not have control of but choosing to want to uh, find a way forward right um, as you kind of think about this sort of mental health crisis you know how how do you think that's helping people to think about choosing stronger and and being okay with saying hey I, I need help you know um, I've got some things happening here and I do need some help. I think, you know, I'm, it's, it's hard to say, you know, how this is impacting the mental health uh, stigma, you know, the whole idea of seeking help and seeing that is stronger. 
but my my hope is that just by what we're doing, you know, talking mm -hmm. openly uh, about this uh, on on this program, and the more people are talking uh, with one another, you know, with family members, because it doesn't, you know, honestly, it doesn't have to be a professional uh, mm -hmm. to talk and to express emotions. I mean, there's a lot of data out there that would talk about the healing effect of just talking with someone else. And uh, what I've been very encouraged to see is on uh, some of our national news programs, more talk about mental health and stress. And, you know, you know the, the idea that um, there needs to be parity relative to heart disease and cancer, we need to be talking about all of those things. Uh, uh, the one of the taglines of the National Institute of Mental Health is there is no health without mental health. <laughs> if you think about that, yeah. it's true. I mean, if you're not mentally well and you're physically well, it's pretty hard to be uh, well all over. One of the things that, that I heard, and I, I read an article recently, and I heard someone say this as well, as well, that I think the pandemic perhaps is teaching us to know that it's okay not to be okay. Huh? It's okay not to be okay. In other words, you know, like we've all shared uh, here today, uh, we're in this together, right? And by seeing that and by seeing other people struggling and stressed, the, and that that's okay. And that by ex uh, sharing those experiences together, it really is a profound way of healing uh, from from this pandemic and going forward. So my my hope is that uh, you know that it does impact stigma uh, in a way that people now will talk more openly. Yes, seek help uh, from a professional, but that they'll talk more openly, like I may about cancer or heart disease or this other physical ailment that I can talk about. You know, I'm feeling really stressed <laughs> about the fact that. You know, I you know lost my job, or that I can't get out and see my friends. Uh, doing that is, in fact, uh, what's uh, I think profoundly healing, and we don't do enough of that. But I, I'm starting to see that happening more. And I guess, I guess the last thing I would say is that I I really believe pretty deeply that um, people uh, are resilient. Uh, a lot of trauma research uh, is actually showing that as you go through trauma and stress, you build resilience. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if you have just one simple protective factor, I mean, Jenna, Jenny was uh, talking about really a lot about mindfulness, right? You know, as we're out and about in the world, paying attention to the small things, valuing the small things. If we can just do that, that is a protective factor that will enable us to come out of the pandemic uh, even I think more resilient, actually. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, interesting perspective, and I think that you know, for many of us, uh, you know, you sort of. You kind of take it in, and to begin with, I, I don't, like most trauma, I'm not even sure you realize you're in it. It's a little bit like that old, you know, uh, chemistry experiment with the frogs, right? You know, you put them into cold water, you bring them to the boil, you got frog's legs for dinner. You know, you throw a frog into hot water, they realize they're being boiled for dinner. I, you know, this has been kind of a slow, we're now, you know, eight months in, it's been a slow rise in that. So I think it's a, it's a very interesting in, in how it's showing up for people, right? 
kids. Um, and it's showing up for people differently. And, and, and Judy, I wanted to come to you for just a little bit as far as, you know, the emotional impact of an emergency is not felt the same by all sectors of our population, right? You know, we talked a little bit with Jenny about the seniors and their past experiences, but it also comes down to resources. Um, what, what gaps are you seeing right now uh, as far as the pandemic is concerned that relate to mental health? Yeah, you know, I really see, you know, that there's this widening gap between those who have resources and those who have, you know, much fewer resources. And we're certainly seeing it with our young people, um, you know, the, the, the low income, the, you know, minimum wage jobs they were able to, to land and be very, you know, feeling a sense of pride that they were able to land those jobs quickly went away when things started to close back close down in spring and really there's been no stability in so far as income in a lot of these minimum wage jobs and so our young people are really struggling to kind of you know make those steps towards their goals towards independence towards not needing help and then they feel like they're taking 20 steps backwards. So you take one step forward and you take 20 backwards and that feels relatively defeated, defeating. Um, and so, you know, for them, then that means that they've got to rely on somebody else and they can't be as independent as they would like to be. Um, and that again, kind of adds to that mental health kind of struggle. We just know that this pandemic from a health perspective as well as an income perspective has hit disproportionately black, indigenous, and people of color. And so I think it's, what is our responsibility as a community to help begin to even that playing field, right? Um, and I think that's really kind of, for me at least, kind of have really, you know, been in my face as to what is our responsibility as a community to make sure that those who are really marginalized have opportunities like those who have more income, more resources. Uh, and that's a real disparity in this community. Um, you know, talking with some other providers and some other, uh, other people in the community, there's some kind of concern for some about kids having, you know, more space to be able to be um, themselves, to play, to not always have such a scheduled space. And yet we've got folks who we uh, see uh, those young people who are homeless who would love to have parents who would overschedule them, and they don't have parents who overschedule them. So it's this real kind of um, um, dichotomy, this real kind of you know contradiction and, and difference. And are we okay with that as a community? And I hope we're not okay with that as a community. So thank you, Judy. And I think we'll we'll take a quick break here for a few short messages, and then we're going to cycle back to this conversation about how the community steps up and works together. For more than 150 years, you've believed in Busey. Today, more than ever, we believe in you. To our healthcare workers, first responders, and local businesses, you're central to the communities we're proud to call home. Busey's grateful to partner with you and your families through life's ups and downs, today and for generations to come. Because as neighbors helping neighbors, we're in this together. Busey, grateful to serve the communities we call home. 
Welcome back to Spotlight. When we left off, we were talking with Judy a little bit about how we're all going through this pandemic together, but our experience of it is different. Uh, the access to resources is different for different parts of our community. Uh, the kind of support structures that are there for different parts of our community vary. Uh, and so I want to start with you, Jenny, because seniors, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sad fact, but we have lost quite a lot of our seniors and uh, they have been by themselves. So talk a little bit about how that has been uh, experienced in the senior community. Um, Naperville has just been designated a, a dementia-friendly community. And with that certification comes a lot to be learned about dementia and growing older. And with the dementia, um, people react differently to life events. And when they are growing older, sometimes they're, what they're saying is not exactly what they're meaning. And then we know that when they get older, they don't know where they're going and where did they lose their way. They need to be read. So we've got that sandwich generation of people that are taking care of children and their uh, parents, and they're in the middle there. And, and what do they do? One of the conflicts that I have noticed during the pandemic specifically is the isolation regarding um, physical ailments and, and mental ailments as far as dementia is concerned. When they are going to the hospital, they have to go in the hospital by themselves. What are they going to do? Where are they going to do? This causes an enormous amount of stress for caregivers. Um, what are they, how are they going to be cared for? Is somebody going to be holding their hand? And what if they lose their battle with COVID and look at the number of people that have, have succumbed to the COVID illness? And when they, they do this, they need to know that the healthcare professionals are there. They are going to hold their hand. They're going to do this. We can use things like Skype and Facebook and, and Zoom and all the rest of uh, FaceTime to, to see them and to be with them during their final moments. And then after that, what do you do about a funeral? You cannot, you cannot get together and, and provide comfort to the people that, you, that have provided comfort to you. And so there's a lot, that, that could be a whole segment in and of itself, but yeah. I, I want to mention that. Yeah. Thank you. No, I appreciate that, Jenny. And I think, you know, it kind of circles back around a little bit to some of the other things uh, we've heard from both Judy and Scott about, you know, kind of not dealing with the trauma, uh, not dealing with loss, uh, trying to find closure and control. And I think all of those things are a part of what you're talking about uh, in that senior community. Um, Scott, I'm going to kind of go to you in terms of how, how can people step up? You know, um, obviously, uh, there's a lot of performance professional organizations that are out there trying to support and help uh, this mental health pandemic. But, but how can everyday citizens, you know, really uh, help themselves and how can they help their loved ones? You know, one of the things before I go directly to that, I just wanted to key off something Jenny said, and that is the other side of that person who's dying in the hospital is the healthcare worker. And we're seeing actually a lot of healthcare workers, nurses, physicians, uh, and others who are traumatized by actually having to have that phone up to the other person, see them die uh, apart from their loved ones. And so that's a whole population that's, that we're starting to hear more about the impact of this uh, on their uh, mental health actually right now as well. 
and there's various groups that are happening and, and individual therapy as well. Um, the other thing I, I, I would just speak to is the uh, economically what we're seeing Zoom, like what we're doing here has been a blessing uh, to be able to provide ongoing therapy. But there are some people who actually can't afford to connect to these platforms. And we have a strong partnership uh, with Bridge Communities, uh, Homeless Shelter, Loaves and Fishes, and uh, a couple other organizations like that where, where people don't have the capacity financially. And so we've been trying to figure out ways and have to get them access to laptops and iPads and connection to uh, the network to be uh, on Zoom to access mental health uh, therapy. Um, yeah, I think in terms of what the community can do, I'd have to lead by saying that uh, Naperville has really stepped up, I think, in some really significant ways. I know we've experienced that here. I mean, the very first month, you know, that the pandemic happened, we, we got delivered a gallon of hand sanitizer free when we could not find it uh, anywhere. And because we're an essential service, we actually were, were able to remain open during this time. Uh, and but we needed to follow all the CDC guidelines, and so from that to you know financial donations uh, from the city, from foundations, from individuals, people have stepped up in a big way. But I, I really want to go back to something I said before. I think one of the 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 biggest things people can do is just uh, talk you know, and be open about their own uh, stresses that they're dealing with, whether it's a senior, whether it's with a child, whether it's with a, uh, an adolescent uh, or an adult, uh, to, to talk with one another, and even in this kind of platform, and then express the stress and anxiety that we're feeling. I think that's a real strong protective factor that'll help all of us. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You hear the word grace a lot during this pandemic. And, and normally, I think we think of that in very much of a religious term. You hear that by the grace of God, yeah. right? But I think that word really sort of sums up a little bit about um, giving people permission, uh, giving people yeah. permission to feel what they're feeling, to talk that out, uh, to go through their experience. Um, Judy, thoughts from you? you know, for adults to be able to be that role model about how you can talk about your feelings, how you admit mistakes. You know, I remember, um, actually it was recently, this was a, a, a lifetime ago for me when I uh, taught at a university, a student reconnected with me and just said that they were really, um, you know, a lingering experience that they had with me was when I apologized for being rather short with a student. And never he never had an adult do that before. And so that was a model for that student on how do you handle mistakes and how do you have that grace and show that grace and show that humility. So I think for us adults, it's really important to be able to admit to young people when we're wrong, to say we're sorry, to be able to say, we're scared to, or we're frustrated, or we're, um, you know, sad as well. I, I think that really is important to be able to role model that with one another. Mm -hmm. And I would agree with Scott that I think the Naperville community, the DuPage County community has really come together and um, supported one another through this. And uh, in ways that in my more almost 30 years of living in DuPage County, I haven't seen before. And I see DuPage County as a rather gen generous community. 
And I hope that we can continue that post-pandemic, right? That I hope we can continue this sense of we're all in this together. We're going to be kind of grinding this out through the next, you know, coming months through this pandemic. And at some point in time, there's going to be this collective kind of sigh of relief, but also this kind of reckoning with our feelings um, post-pandemic and, and to be able to be there for one another and to be a support for one another. We need that now, but we're going to need that post-pandemic more than ever. Judy, would you say that's your hope for 2021? I would say that this is my hope for 21 is to, to have that compassion now for one another, but also, um, you know, afterwards, you know, I just, I just know when you're trying to get through a trauma, you just kind of have to like grind through it in many respects, right? Like when we all kind of do that, right? And, and I just know that at least for me, when I get distance from that, that's when the emotions hit. That's when the, you know, the, I have to kind of process what I just went through hits. And to be able to be there for one another long after the pandemic is over, I think is gonna be really important. And it is my hope for 2021. Okay. Jenny, what's your hope for 2021? Well, first, I'd like to put in a little shameless plug for our parking lot at Naperville Township because we have our parking lot painted for Naperville together. And to go back to what Judy said and, and Scott also, um, I am so grateful to be living in Naperville and to see that Naperville is coming together. And this is one way that we found that oh, people could express themselves and do it. So when you get outside and you're walking around, please do walk by there and take a look at the, at the street art. Mm -hmm. um, my, my lasting um, hope for 2021 is that I believe that uh, we all have every tool that we need to overcome anxiety, stress, depression, um, and it's easily at our disposal because attitude is everything. And um, we need to use this time that we have now, this terrible pandemic, to reconfigure our own reality and shift our mindset a little and consider this unwanted solitude a gift. Thank you. Good words. Scott, Thanks. your hope for 2021. Well, first of all, I'd, I'd just say that the vaccine works, right? <laughs> yes. yeah, that, 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 I think we're all hoping for that. <laughs> yes. um, Absolutely. Yeah. But the, the second thing I would say is that my hope is that one of the, one of the things we know also, uh, and this we knew before the pandemic, that contributes to despair uh, is that sense, again, of lack of connectedness. And my hope is that the, the simplicity, if you will, that we've been driven to and the separation that we've had from one another uh, teaches us in 2021 to reconnect to simplicity, to hold on to that, uh, to look at the small things in life and to value them, but also to value the people we love and cherish even more than ever now that we can be with them. And I think that will build our resiliency uh, significantly at the end of one of the worst things many of us have ever dealt with in our lives. 
Yeah, I think that's so true, right? And, you know, the old adage of absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think that, uh, yeah. you know, we hopefully will uh, recognize the things that we most value as uh, all those other pieces are sort of stripped away, uh, that we will focus on the people that are most important to us. And uh, I want to thank Judy and Scott and Jenny for joining me uh, on this very special episode of Spotlight. Um, and for all that you and your teams are doing to support those most in need throughout our community. Uh, it's really appreciated. Uh, I also need to give a shout out to our sponsor, Busey Bank, for their continued support of this show, uh, the important work that the nonprofit sector is doing, and the conversations like the one we're having today. And to all of our viewers out there, um, please continue to stay safe. Uh, and remember that while we're all experiencing this pandemic differently, we're all in it together, even while we're standing apart and that when you choose to ask for help, you choose stronger. Thank you for joining us. Today's Spotlight is brought to you in part by presenting sponsor, Busey Bank. Busey, your dream, our promise.